Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Brainwaves, hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM on your dial app or via the online stream. My name is Flick Manning and this is Brainwaves. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I am so excited to introduce our guest for today's show. Now, she probably doesn't really need an introduction. I'm fairly sure that everybody listening today or watching today will know the dulcet tones of our guest, but I'm going to give her an introduction anyway. She is a broadcaster, writer, and an advocate, and is always ready to talk about chronic illness, which I love. She wrote the books Unseen and A Question of Age, and you may have heard her voice on ABC Afternoons or the Friday Review or seen her on the project. And you may have also found her featured or writing in The Guardian, The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald, just to name a few. She's practically Melbourne broadcasting royalty, and even with all the success that she has, remains one of the most human people you could ever meet, which is probably the reason why she is so popular. And I am thankful to know her personally, so I'm thrilled to have her on the show. Today's guest is Jacinta Parsons. Jacinta, welcome to the show. Oh, my goodness. I should pay you a heap of money for that experience. That's like going to the best party ever to have someone <laughs> introduce you like that. That is outrageously kind, but um, I'm going to receive it with great um, humility. Thank you very much, Flick. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Um, so I have to say I've been very lucky to be on air with you before, and you're such a generous human because not only did you launch my book, Living Human, but this is something that you do for so many writers. You are out there supporting, so generously giving your time, and I know you will do that today. And I feel really lucky to be swapping roles, honestly, and to actually get to ask you some questions today. So let's dive in. Let's get this done. So Jacinta, let's start off with the, the basics because we're here to talk about mental health. I'd be really interested to know what does the term mental health mean to you? Um, it's, a, it's such a great question because I think it means different things to different people, but also at different times in our life, whether we're looking at mental health challenges or mental health um, and it being a wellness time as well, I think is really interesting. So I'm, I'm, I sort of feel like for me, my relationship with mental health is trying to find that middle ground between both of those states where, you know, you find a a gentle balance between challenging mental times and also those exhilarating mental times. There's a space in the middle that I think is the sweet spot. And for me, 
that would be what I would describe as um, mental health. So beautifully put. And I don't think I've heard anyone really describe it like that, but that's really perfect. I think very often we focus on those extremes, like we're extremely happy or we're extremely sad and not that beautiful middle ground. And you've just summed that up so perfectly. So thank you for that. I think I will be chewing and processing on that thought for a while. Now, up until recently, you've actually been on air, as I mentioned before, on ABC Afternoons. And during that time, you took your audience through some really trying times, like the very early days of our very much ongoing pandemic. I often wonder what it is like to be part of those key life moments where everybody is in it together, uh, particularly when you are having these raw conversations with people. Has any event or specific interview, I guess, from that time period or really any time period that you've had on the air really impacted your mental well-being? And if so, in what kind of way? It's such a, um, it's something I'm only starting to unpack now, I think, that experience. And I'm doing it with other broadcasters who went through it because I think often when you go through, as we all did, go through the pandemic in the various ways that we did, frontline, with chronic health, with disability, with all the ways that our lives intersected with it. It was a, a real experience that I still think, especially for people in Melbourne, we're just coming to terms with it now. And so for me, overarching was probably not one specific time, although I could probably pick out some times that really impacted me and my mental health, um, both in positive and challenging ways. But the whole thing was something that I realised um, I was surviving at the time, but the the experience of having to share something with a community and kind of be the constant throughout it I mean that was the that was the perspective I had and you know not to overstate the role but it was to be on air and to make sure that people that were tuning in found a constant reliable human on the other end and I think whilst that also provided for me a mental health balance it was also extreme um, to be almost in service I think in that way for such a period of time and I think my leaving now is related to that in some way because I think that there it, it was difficult to understand and to care for that mental health and well-being because we'd never been in that space before. And while broadcasting is um, so much of it is, is thought of, especially in the work that you do and in the work 3CR and community radio and the public broadcaster is about this idea of service in some ways, like you are providing you know, um, positive experiences for a community or, you know. So, yeah, I think it was a overall a really, really intensely challenging time for my mental health and well-being. Knowing that I was having you on the show and knowing how popular you are and well-loved you are just in Melbourne but also across Australia as well because you certainly have got uh, national celebrity as well and I've was reaching out to people that I knew just to kind of touch base and get a feel for what is the general vibe when I bring up your name, when I bring up that time period, what comes to people? And the most common terms that came up was comforting, authentic, and down to earth. So that's beautiful. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly the way I feel about you. I could sit here and just 
gush and just be giddy about you. I'm going to try and restrain myself, JP, (laughs) (laughs) which is very difficult to do. But I think in the sense that you're talking about being that constant during that time period, I think that's probably where people have derived this feeling of comfort, just knowing there was a safety in those words. But then for you, as you're describing as well, I mean, you're in service that whole time. What what were you doing during that time to try and bring yourself some sense of mental comfort? I mean, I know you're obviously unpacking it all now, but yeah. what were you doing in the moment to try and maintain that so that you could be of service to people in that way? Well, it was a really big focus in my life at that time. So it was going to work, going sort of processing some of that anxiety that I think we were all going through and it would happen in silly ways like, well, you know, you'd get frustrated maybe before you got on the show or you would feel things after. And that's often how my mental health exposes itself is in just not overt ways, but I can see myself reacting more wholesomely to something that I might normally have reacted to. But what was really interesting about it and that authenticity was once I was in that room for those hours it was really healing for myself as well because ultimately I think we can often say that connection is such a an antidote to mental challenge, you know, to having those mental health challenges, feeling that connection. So it, it acted like that for me as well. Um, and, my, and it felt like it was a really, really positive experience for the most part in, in that particular time. And it really was, as I sort of said before, and I think a lot of us are starting to unpack it because, you know, when you go through something and health is one of those things that if it's ongoing, you just start in it and immersed in it and surviving it and thriving in it, whatever's going on, but you're in it, you're not looking forward or back very much. And so I think it's only until there's been enough distance from the the real coalface of it that there's been an opportunity to go, oh, that was actually tiring. Um, not not in a negative way, not in a I'm fatigued and that's a negative experience. It's just it took a lot to hold that for that period of time. Um, I would do it again and it was nourishing and very, very good for my mental health on many levels, but I think it also um, takes a toll and I think frontline workers, I mean, I'm certainly not putting myself in that category, but it really is that, you know, where you keep, persisting with a a particular way of being to to hold others yeah beautifully put I think it's that whole thing that we we often talk about with mental health and maybe just humanity in general where in the process of giving the process of service is also receiving at the same time and so I think there's that beautiful exchange and comfort but there's also that tipping point where it's like have I now given too much do I need to take a step back and actually receive and maybe receive from myself because I've been giving it all to other people is that as you said sort of alluded to earlier on one of the things that you're trying to do now that you've stepped back from ABC afternoons yeah and also realizing I guess too when um when your job is done almost I felt like I mean had I gone and done that show at a different time perhaps I'd still be there because the job would have been different but it was really interesting someone texted me um when I had decided to wrap up and it was such an interesting reflection they said well I'm really sad this is actually maybe the point where we can all get on with the next part of our lives because there's a representation that I had of a particular time. And so it was really 
a like a beautiful thing for me and to reflect upon it was time you know that the giving time um I didn't do it too much but I think that there was a point where it's like okay that job's done and now there's some, I've got to recoup to find other ways that I can participate yeah, that's such a beautiful way of putting it. Sort of the, the chapter is closing, so the next chapter gets to open now. And it's a, it's a lovely thing of self-awareness, I think, to realise within yourself that you have that skill, that ability to recognise where you are in the chapter and that it's time to make that change. Is that something that you've always been able to predict for yourself in terms of reading your mental health or is this something that you have developed through the process of broadcasting or writing or how has that come to you? Beautiful question, and illness is the answer. So going through a chronic illness experience demanded that I get closer to my body as much as I wanted to leave it entirely, and it took me a long time to reconnect with it. But the reconnection with the body after lots of pain and illness has meant that I'm much more responsive to that for want of a better I wish I had a more scientific term, the intuition, you know, the, ah, this is not making me feel the way it did. I'm not serving in the way I have, you know, now it's time to do something else. I can, and listening to and recognising the way you feel in spaces has become really prominent in my life over the last, you know, 10 years or so. And that's been as a result of the process that illness took me through in terms of disconnecting but then needing to reconnect with my body. And so, yeah, I think you would really understand (laughs) that. I mean, obviously broadcasting comes into it and empathy and the way that the work is, but really I think illness has been my greatest teacher for everything and continues to um, show me so much stuff that perhaps I wouldn't find as quickly. It's It's a fast lesson, I can tell you, and intense. Yeah, <laughs> it's an extremely intense lesson, and yes, I completely, yes. as you know, understand and commiserate with that. I love the way that you put it. It demanded that of you, and I think that's so true of chronic illness. It lays out a very clear list of demands from you, and it is not willing to negotiate. You must come to the party. But what a gift, in a weird way, it becomes. I know that's a hard thing for a lot of people who might be at the the early stages particularly of their chronic illness to grapple with that concept, particularly with the the world's view of chronic illness and disability, but there are gifts in it. Are there other gifts that have come to you as a result of your illness, do you think? Like everything, you know, and I'm with you and I say it a bit as well, is that it's not something um, you talk about a lot because it you don't want to overrun the real experience of grief and the the challenge of chronic illness by overlaying it with this, you know, hero's narrative of discovery and wonder. Because um, I think the part that, you know, your human, you know, um, experience of chronic illness is so varied, so vast, so diverse, but within it because of its intrinsic nature, because it challenges us in every way, not just physical challenge, it challenges us socially, emotionally, um, psychologically, mentally, of course. What it does in that challenge is also, as all challenges do, is offer that opportunity to perhaps shift, shift slightly. And what often happens is that you you find the only way through the brick wall is to accept it's there and to yield 
and that in that yielding is kind of everything I think you know where you realize and again it's the intuition that you start listening to more and you start having a very different relationship with the world outside you because it changes your compassion for the world as well as your understanding every everything has altered in my life as a result and I've learned I think the most profound things as a result of it I'm here everything I have I feel like is a result of the learning from illness yeah so beautifully beautifully put um just into yeah I completely agree you never want to overshadow the process that someone is going through because it's an ongoing process I mean it's not as though it's yeah. a one and done you grieve you adapt you change ah. you challenge I mean it, it's a it could be an hour by hour process sometimes with chronic illness and I going through still that. grieve I don't know about you but I'm oh, yeah. still in a constant you know I've just started to understand the body is trauma which is ridiculous of course like you know there was so much trauma involved but I hadn't seen it that way and sort of to understand that it sort of lives inside you and that it can get triggered in lots of ways, that trauma of the experience that you've had. And just the grief, which is not regret, it's just a loving perspective of, oh, that hurt, you know, like, and I think that lives not that far underneath my surface, you know, these sorts of conversations or, you know, when I do speaking and I know you would be the same flick when you share and that's why anyone sharing their experiences I have such a deep love for because it brings to the fore that that lived narrative that the way the body felt you know yeah 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 beautifully put I always think about grief as a reflection of love a direct reflection of love that we grieve what we love the most and whether that's our body, our experience, our capacity, a person, a place, a job, whatever it is, the grief comes in so many different formats. And it takes a little while to be able to recognize that you're in grieving and that it happens consistently. I mean, we grow up thinking it's really when somebody or something passes away. We don't think about it in the the, the broader concept. But I think chronic illness brings that to the forefront and allows you to recognize that it's with us all the time. It's an ongoing process, but that it is also partially love. It's just a recognition that you loved something so much. And that's, as you said, it's not regret. It's just the hurt. It's the hurt living with you and you learning to live alongside it in its own way. I think that's absolutely true. It's that the loving hold of, it's almost holding yourself in acknowledging that space. You know, it's not, it's certainly not, oh, everything I've learned has been a really positive thing, but it also uh, doesn't discount the fact that there's still pain and grief and all the other aspects of what it is to go through and continue to go through chronic illness. Yeah, perfectly, perfectly put. Now, JP, we touched on this sort of at the beginning, and I know a lot of people have probably been out and read your books, but you have written two amazing books that sort of highlight two very different things, I think. We've got Unseen, which is obviously your memoir, talking about chronic illness that we just touched on before we went to the break, and, of course, A Question of Age. How did the writing process for both of those books impact your mental well-being? Yeah, it's a really interesting question that I don't know the answer to entirely. I know it's very positive, but I do know that it also has required uh, me to go to the spaces that are really hard to go to. Um, not in a catharsis. Neither of them were a process to kind of heal anything, but I had to re-enter the space 
so that I would um, embody it authentically and be truthful. And so going, you know, I feel like when I write, there's like this thing that mentally I feel like I sit in and it, like sitting into a space um, means that you are wholly there. You're not writing about it. You are inside it writing from it in a way. So that's glorious, but it also is, um, again, another particular kind of labour, you know, that I wouldn't ever wish not to have. I love that labour, but it definitely is something that I think it brings up things that are challenging, um, but it also helps to language that challenge, I think. And so from a mental health perspective, both of them, especially the first one, felt like a love letter felt like a love letter to the hard stuff of illness because it was given with a really loving perspective, even though it was overtly, I think, quite damning in some ways around some of the systems and the way that um, healthcare works. Ultimately, it was another kind of kindness to the experience and finding a language for it. So it's a complex answer, even though I haven't really given you one, but I think that it's all of it. I think it's all of the things that mental health and mental challenge can be in terms of um, exhuming and analysing and hopefully providing the same scaffolding for other people to do their own stuff maybe. You know, that's obviously a wonderful outcome if that happens. So, yeah, I think um, but ultimately I think it's been a very good thing for my mental health. Yeah, beautifully put, beautifully put. I like the, the term exhuming. That I can feel that. I feel that in my soul with the process of writing too. I completely get that. Mm. Now, specifically, obviously, in Unseen, as we said, it's talking about the chronic illness. And what I loved about it as well is not just, obviously, the writing about the chronic illness and your experience, but you managed to sort of, in that love letter format, also do a love letter to Melbourne, I really feel. Like you sort of had this devotion to Melbourne as this beautiful poetic tapestry and backdrop to your story. And at the same time, it's layered with, I guess what I got the sense was this sort of grappling with identity, grappling with your well-being and how you would fit in the world because you were still quite young when you were going through all of this stuff. Now we know hindsight is 2020, but if you could go back in time and speak to Jacinta of that particular period of time now with everything that you understand, what would you say to her about her mental well-being in particular, what does she need to know at that time? Well, most of it I would like to have her unfold herself. I would perhaps knock on her door and say that it's okay. I think they're the words that really comforted me from people in authority. It took authority to say like doctors or specialists to say it's okay that you're not coping because that's kind of normal because I think... um, that was one aspect of it, and I still grapple with it in some ways, is um, understanding what not coping looks like uh, and being comfortable with it because overtly I am comfortable with it, but in the process of it, it's it's very hard to get close in and, and really be comfortable with the collapse of self, you know. <laughs> so... Um, you know, I, I always say, oh, it's, you know, great to say you're not okay, but when you're not okay, that is really a hard thing to properly put into a formation of understanding. So I think just a gentleness to myself would have been 
a really nice thing I could have given myself. And in hindsight, that's really at the end of the day, all the lessons needed to be learned, all the hard stuff I had to go through. But one thing I think I could have really benefited from was that comfort of knowing it's okay to really, really not be okay. Yeah, so beautifully put. And I think anyone listening with a chronic illness or disability knows somebody with a chronic illness or disability will resonate with that. That's a very, very big thing. So thank you for sharing that. Now, moving on slightly to your other book, A Question of Age, this one brought up a whole different whole different mm-hmm. kettle of fish for me because I'm one of these very, um, I'm going to say lucky with sort of inverted quotes for anyone that's listening and not watching this right now. I'm one of the lucky people that is in early menopause. And so with the reading of your book, it brought up a whole bunch of stuff for me in terms of like I'm watching in real time as my body and my mind changes and there's all these adaptations and so many questions. I realized how uninformed I was as a woman about just age, the aging process, other than that I was supposed to be scared of it. That was really all I knew about it until really I read your book and then I sort of spurned on all of these other ideas. For you as part of researching and I guess preparing to write that book, what realizations came to you about women's mental and physical health as they age? Yeah, that that was a huge, one of the biggest revelations to me or fires in my belly, I suppose, was that the fire in my belly is legitimate. Um, And so often I think for women's mental health, there has been such a diminishing um, response to the reaction to systemic oppression. (laughs) You know, it's like, shush, really? Calm down, everyone. And really, when you look at it and you're you're told often in that experience of ageing that hormones are informing your rage, you know, but really when we look at it and we look at the sisters who are disabled, who are First Nations, who are living in uh, domestic violence environments, there is so much for us to be really cross about still And I think that for me was both um, uh, rage-inducing but also gave me real clarity about where to funnel that because I think a lot of the time when we feel like that, we've been taught to feel it back to ourselves to kind of um, when you're ageing and you're doing all the things that seem to be stereotypically, you know, a negative or something to be scared of, you then in turn kind of internalise that. So it's been really nice to have the clarity for my mental health, really, of, no, no, this is legitimate. It's almost the same as illness. It's a legitimate experience to feel not okay with, you know, to have the experiences where you've got to process and accept is actually totally reasonable. And how much needs to be undone within our system of how we're constructed within it is also an enormous liberation. It's the beginning of a massive process. But uh, again, for my mental health, I feel like I'm getting closer to even more authentic version of what this looks like to be a human in this form, in a Western culture, you know, all that stuff. So I think ultimately it stirred me up, but in ways that helped clarify things that had been sort of sitting there um, and, and making me feel like I was doing it badly. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really interesting answer. And I think I, I do resonate that, I think, at a cellular level, JP, mm-hmm. <laughs> at a cellular level, especially at the moment. 
So when we're sort of thinking about, you know, with those things that, that do come with age, and I, I see this a lot, you see it floating around social media, that once people get into their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, they they care less, right? Like they care less about what people think about them. They're more likely to give an opinion. Do you think that that is then genuinely just a process of age or is it a process of that realisation of what ageing means in the current society that we are in? I think the second, you know, I think... I think we are transformed so utterly by the external world, you know, like as to how we are perceived, how we are treated, how we are. Every facet of our lives is controlled by an external perspective of us and how much we uh, need to kind of, um, uh, you know, placate that, I guess, is the experience of our lives. So I think it's that second part where those um, impressions of who we are alter so we're no longer youthful and needed for procreation and hot and all the things that give us currency when we're younger. When that changes, it offers us an incredible opportunity, not due to our age as such but due to the, the kind of cultural things that allow us to kind of disengage from it and look at it in a way that perhaps we hadn't been able to previously and then there's that whole process that is needed to be gone through potentially is how do you un- unshackle from something that has held you and convinced you for so long that you are a certain person? Yeah, very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, as a parent as well, I'm interested if the process of, of, I guess, writing a question of age and even the process of writing unseen, has it changed the way in which you communicate with your children or I guess what you communicate to them about and if so in what ways yeah I think one of the biggest things I learned and I communicate with them is just that life will do what it's going to do and you never can tell you know we cannot um kind of judge our lives or anyone else's in any way around whether it's good or bad it's neither of those things and so having an openness to our experiences is something that I have felt really passionate to share with them. But also I think it has, especially for my eldest who really saw a lot of my um, incapacity with my body, um, an awareness around what it is to be broken and to not do what you need or can or want to do, like you, that there are limitations. But within that, there are expansions and I think that's part of the the wonderful kind of web and complexity is trying to share with them it's not going to look the way you think potentially. It's going to go in all sorts of ways and be open and ready because you have all the things you need to actually be okay, you know, that kind of idea and that openness and that um the kindness I think that I've experienced through illness as well being such a, a, f- a phenomenal aspect of the human experience. I guess that's really stayed with me and parenting is really about that idea as well. Yeah, beautifully put. And what a lovely thing to pass on to your children. I think that's such a that's such a gift that you're able to pass that on to them, Jacinta. Mm. And we just talked a little bit about parenting, particularly from the angle of what you've learned through the process of writing your books Let's talk a little bit more specifically about the mental health side of things. Do you think that what you've learned, I guess, over the last 10 or so years 
has impacted the conversations you're having about mental health with your children? And if so, has there been kind of any change for you? Do you think, oh, I'm now saying something different to what I said 10 years ago? How does that communication work for you? Yeah, I think I've learned an enormous amount. I think that I have really tried to adapt what probably was previously a fix it, let's fix it, uh, into more let's feel it. Let's work out what it is to feel it. Um, And while that's scary and while you want to avoid all things, I think that um, the feeling it part of it, the being allowed to not be okay again has been one of the big learnings for me hugely. And so I'm still learning that, still, you know, making sure that I don't try and rush to the end you know, okay, great, but if you do this, it'll solve all the problems. You know, I, I, that's never what's needed. You, you can't do that, I don't think, for other people with mental health or with anything really. And mental health is something that um, from a from an outside perspective, if you're talking to somebody or, or supporting a child through their own experiences, it's challenging in that deep, visceral way of the pain of watching someone experience pain. But I think that's what we need to be comfortable with and learn to start to be comfortable with. And something I'm starting to really understand is that there is no benefit to rushing in and solving problems. It is really about being comfortable with your own discomfort when you see someone else in pain or you see someone else doing things that perhaps you would do differently. I think the respect of of other people requires our need to have complex experiences with our own feelings and to really assess our reactions to stuff. So I think for me uh, with parenting and with myself, with my relationships, it's one of the things that I'm still deeply learning but really uh, attuned to that being a really important part of, of that engagement with kids. Yeah, wonderfully, wonderfully put. And such a juicy answer. I mean, I, I could pull that thread for years, honestly, Dave. <laughs> so it's so beautiful. It's just that concept of feeling it instead of fixing it. I mean, can we make that a new mental health slogan, everybody? Anyone out there that's into merch, can we get some tote bags printed or some mugs? <laughs> it's just perfect. It's love it. Love, love. But yeah. also, like you said, getting comfortable with the discomfort of watching somebody else go through pain. I mean, it's such a I think that we have created a society that is so almost scared and incapacitated when it comes to the concept of pain, and yet it's such a fundamental aspect of the human experience. So I think the work that you're doing on yourself and then obviously the work that you're doing, you know, as a broadcaster, as a writer with your own children, et cetera, is just going to pay dividends and we need more people to do exactly that. So thank you. Thank Thank you for doing your bit, Jacinta. Love it. I'm feeling it, babe. I'm feeling it. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, your life has undergone some pretty major shifts in recent times. So anyone that is sort of a, a a mega fan of Jacinta would know that obviously you moved away from ABC Afternoons and so on. You've gone through a whole bunch of different changes in your life, you know, health, career, and so on. And that's a lot to manage for, for any person. Even one singular change is a lot to manage for any one person. So what strategies have you put into place to sustain your mental well-being as you're going through all this transition and change? Um, I think, again, illness um, has really taught me so much about strategies of managing stuff that's tricky. Um, And, again, 
ultimately that management sometimes comes down to not being scared to feel how painful it is um, and not to see the pain as a failure or as an indicator that the decision was not right, for example, you know, referring to relationship breakdowns or uh, life is is all of those things. But I think we've been taught so thoroughly that if you feel bad, something bad has happened when that's actually not the case. It's not the case at all. And sometimes processing grief and pain is actually um, the job, not to fix the problem, but just to actually sit in the outcome of that. And so I definitely left the ABC knowing that that was one of the hardest decisions that I made, listening to my stupid intuition. Um, God, you know, what a crazy move. And like, have I done the wrong thing? But I think um, what's kind of, I actually almost get excited about this, which is probably pathological, but the fact that you go, okay, some hard stuff's going to come up and I know I can sit in it. Like when it happens, when I feel regret or like I've made the wrong decision or I'm an idiot, all the things that kind of are that programming, just to sit in it and to know that that is sometimes all that needs to happen. I don't need to fix it. I don't need to go and do anything. I've made a choice. It's going to process. And I think even with that sometimes, with all the things that go on, and that's not to say there has been enormous amounts of pain and challenge from a mental health perspective around changing my life so significantly. But I think once you've been to low ends of mental health, you kind of know the terrain and that you can also become friends with that terrain, as painful as it is. And so I think there's so many tools, but probably the most prominent one is that um, acceptance and willingness to sit in the pain that will come with transition because it's growing pains and it's development pains and to reframe it somewhat and to not always experience pain as negative, I think, is part of the learning. And physical pain is a real teacher of that as well, like how you frame it, how you think about it um, can really be an amazing way to start to understand other pains and other things that we resist because we're frightened of that pain. Yeah, yeah. Profoundly put, as per usual, Jacinta. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a live writing class right now, just listening to you describe these things. But yeah, it's that's so so true. Uh, just that concept of, again, that sort of getting comfortable with it, and those lessons that do come from the the, the chronic illness. And I think we can all relate to that, where we've all sort yeah. of leapt for something and then gone, oh gosh. Do I have a branch underneath me to catch me when I do this? As, am I making all of these changes? But human beings are great adapters. We just sometimes have to change the perspective of how we're thinking about the change in order to allow that process to flow. That's uh, right. And if you reach for a branch and the, and you fall and you actually had nothing to catch you, sometimes, and, and I think you will really understand this and so many people do, that's the in the funny way, that's the best thing because you go, oh, that's what it feels like to hit the bottom. Okay, I didn't die. You know, I nearly did. I felt like I might have, but I didn't, you know, and it, it's an enormous experience to have a cognitive perspective of, okay, I want to really acknowledge the fact that that was really hard and I got through it. Therefore, my next hard thing, I can trust myself you know, to get through things and to do stuff. I think that's 
that's part of it, isn't it? Like mm. part of the pain is to go, oh, I don't have to be frightened of it. Yeah, it's like that concept of the unknown. And yeah. when, we're, when we're in it, it does feel unknown. It feels it's like the scariest thing in the world. But sometimes in that process of learning, we can look back and think, I have also been in the process of, process of unknown a million times in my life. Therefore, I too technically know. <laughs> it just feels yeah. a bit scary. It's just maybe how I'm framing it or the circumstances but around scary it. scary is also fine. You know, of course it is. And yeah. that's okay. You yeah. know, that's the whole thing is that um, trust that there it is a process. Things move. Mm-hmm. You, you're not going to be anywhere for, forever. That's very true. We're never in one fixed state for any period of time, good, bad, or in between. It's always in transition. So I think that's a really good, really good reminder. Now, I've been obviously very lucky to see you do some live emceeing, and I know that you get out, you do public speaking, you're a broadcaster, you're on TV, like you're basically everywhere, JP, like in every medium, you're communicating in some way, shape or form. And I think one of the things that you are probably most famous for, particularly when I was, you know, speaking to people ahead of interviewing you today, is that you are able to draw out vulnerable and authentic stories from people that other broadcasters, I don't think necessarily can pull that thread quite so beautifully. You make people comfortable to reveal themselves, right? You create a comfort bubble for them to be in that way and to feel very okay, consciously okay, that they're going to share this with you, with the audience. And uh, I've seen you certainly do that even at people's book launches and things as well. So with all of your experience, obviously, in broadcasting and all of your experience with illness and, and those kinds of things, do you think that that has specifically shaped your ability to do that in people? Are you, I mean, are you attracted to those stories because of your own experience with them? I'm just very curious about how you find those threads to pull and what provokes or incentivizes you to create that vulnerable space of comfort for people? Mm. Firstly, that is such a beautiful reflection and I thank you and I could argue it, but I won't. I'm going to allow it to be because it's such a a very generous um, and wonderful um, reflection and I thank you. Um, And if we're going to go on that tangent, definitely um, when you felt pain, and you've had experiences that have extended your and really pushed you to the edges of who you think you are and what you think you can do, I think it uh, enables a deep love for the experience of humans, a deep love. like, um, And there's something beautiful and special and treasured about the space that you find in a broadcasting room, like we're doing it now, you do it live. Everyone comes to that space in a different way, they elevate. There is a a sharing. And I think we all have a deep love to share if we're safe and it's safely done and we connect in that way. So it is really about honouring very, very deeply and sincerely that person in that moment and uh, feeling the same back. It's about, you know, it's about self-kindness as much as anything and that's something I have to work on to be able to do that stuff you know without being reflective of myself it's about it's about um understanding outside and definitely illness has been again the way to open up the parts of me that I was afraid of you know that I was afraid of my own stuff so it enables an openness I think for other people 
Mm, it's very true. I think we all desire to feel safe. You know, that's a, well, it's a human need really at the end of the day, isn't it, to feel safe. So I think when you can, when you've felt unsafe, maybe even in your own body, it does give you the ability to see it in other people and to do what you can to honour that and to respect that and create space for them to come into that conversation with that safety because you know what it's like to feel like you don't have it. Do you relate to that? Oh, yeah, very much. And also just that kind of connection that you can have when two people are respecting each other and are really being authentic with each other. It's like I will come if you come. You know, it has to be two ways. You you have to in those spaces also be open to the vulnerability of what that is and listen with something else in you, not just your intellect, you know, of course, but it's it's a thing. It's a really beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, I agree with you. What what a gift, what a gift. I think, I mean, look, any form of communication is a gift because, again, just in the same way as safety, we all require that sense of communing with somebody, connection with somebody. So I think when it's a skill, especially a skill like you have, you know, not just crafted but obviously comes, I think, some to some extent authentically with someone like yourself, JP, it's a, it's a real gift. And I know that we are all very thankful that you have shared it. And I wish I could talk to you for more hours, Jacinta. I genuinely, genuinely do because I think I could just continue to pull at threads with you forever and be forever just sitting here going, basking in all of your answers. But alas, we are out of time. But it has been such a pleasure talking to you today, truly, my friend. It really has. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, And right back at you for everything you've said. What a beautiful way you held this conversation. Exactly. I mean, what a joy it is for me to be on the other side with you being heard and understood in the way you have. I thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Look, I literally have goosebumps. Anyone that's watching, if you zoom in really close, i got goosebumps right now. My tattoos might be hiding it, but goosebumps. So thank you for sharing this time with me. Such a special, special moment. Now, everyone that is listening, thank you so much for tuning into Brainwaves. Now, make sure you go out and grab copies of Jacinta's books. If you are watching this, you will see Jacinta's books behind me on the shelf. If you're not watching and you're just listening, make sure you go out and look for Unseen and A Question of Age and also keep your eyes and ears peeled because I know JP is going to be popping up everywhere. You are going to find Jacinta in all of the different broadcasting mediums and I'm sure other things that we are not even expecting yet. So keep yourself tuned. Now, of course, as I wrap up the show, my final little reminder to everybody, as always, that mental health is of equal importance to physical health. So if you are yet to bring them into alignment together today, please now take a nice big inhale, a deep exhale. And remember to shower yourself with the kindness that you so easily give to others. I look forward to joining you next time on Brainwaves. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry and depression or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday 
9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.